Work, wealth, wisdom. This is DC Entrepreneur. We're sharing stories, ideas, and lessons from startups and businesses in the pursuit of innovation. And we're helping build a community of problem solvers and thought leaders in the Washington area. Now, here's your host, George Mocharco. This is George Macharco, host of DC Entrepreneur, here on WERA 96.7 FM. I'm talking today with Andrew Dana. He is the founder and chief doughboy of Call Your Mother Deli, a Jewish deli in Washington, D.C. And he's also the co-owner of D.C.'s Timber Pizza, which was named in Bon Appetit's magazine's 50 Best New Restaurants Here in America. Thanks so much for dropping by today. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me. So Andrew was very nice. He actually brought some bagels and schmears to the studio. Thanks so much for doing that. I'm sure the, the people here at the station will I never will go love anywhere you. without bagels and schmears, so <laughs> no worries. So now, now Call Your Mother Deli is getting a lot of buzz right now. Um, you call it a Jew-ish deli or Jew-ish deli yeah. or Jewish-ish deli. Jew-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk to me about the concept there. What, what What's it about and why do you want to start this? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the idea started with the bagel. Um, I've always loved bagels, lived in New York for a while, and, you know, New York is obviously very famous for their bagels. Uh, so when I moved back to D.C., you know, I don't want to call it a bagel desert, but whatever a step below desert is, that's what D.C. is with bagels. So when we were just thinking through the concept, we were like, oh, Jewish deli would be cool. And, you know, my dad's Jewish, my mom is not, so I'm half Jewish. Um, and I just didn't really want to do a classic Jewish deli with, you know, your typical pastrami sandwiches and corned beef on rye. I wanted to do something with a twist. Um, so if you come to call your mother, like the lunch sandwiches, we bake challah sub rolls. Okay. Uh, and then we make a cheesesteak, but instead of skirt steak, we do it with pastrami and brisket. So it's sort of twists on Jewish classics. Um, and yeah, and we're making bagels from scratch. So we just wanted to call it Jewish so you wouldn't come in there expecting sort of like classic Jewish food. Um, but, you know, expect, you know, good food with a with a slight Jewish twist. Cool. So now you, you founded Timber with uh, Chris Brady and partnered with Jeff Zients yeah. uh, for the deli. And, and you're working with Daniel Morera, yep. who is the, the head chef at both? She's chef and partner in both. Oh, yeah. chef and partner in yeah, both. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about this team that you built for Call Your Mother and for Timber. Yeah, I mean, what do they say? People, process, product. Um, and at the end of the day, I was saying this today with our staff, is like you can have the best training manuals, you can have the best onboarding process, but at the end of the day, you need like real people actually doing stuff and doing it well. Um, so I think people has just been at the at the very forefront of everything we've ever done. Um, so Chris is the original partner. We actually worked together at our old job um, and just sort of dreamed of quitting that desk life and going and chasing pizza dreams. Um, and I think above all with what drew me to Chris at the start is I really trusted him. Um, and they always said like your first business partner, your business partner, sort of like a spouse and a, you know, you're married to this person. And, um, I just trust Chris like implicitly through and through. And I know he always has the businesses sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, just at the forefront, he'll always do what's right for the business. Um, and so him and I grinded for a year, sort of selling mobile pizza around in the streets with always the goal to open a restaurant. Um, and then we randomly met Daniela at a farmer's market. She was shopping. She was doing private catering. She was working in fine dining. And she just sort of came up to us and was like, hey, I'm waiting for my job to start. Um, do you guys need any part-time help? And we were like, you want to work for us? Like, are you okay? Like, nobody had ever wanted to work for us before. <laughs> we had been, like, begging our friends to work for us. 
So we were like, sure, come on out. Um, and I think it took us about like a minute and a half to realize she was super special and super talented. Just the, just like everything she touched turned to gold. Um, so pretty quickly I started recruiting her heavily to join the team full time. And she kept saying, no, I got to go work in fine dining. No, I got to go work in fine dining. Um, and I just like was relentlessly just like sales pitching her every day. And eventually I, I broke through, we offered her some equity and she agreed to stay. And I, you know, I think that was like the biggest turning point ever in the, the history of the business. I think Chris and I know how to work really hard. I think we have really good taste. Um, but neither of us are nearly as talented as Danielle in the kitchen. We have no cooking background. So finding her was really like the missing piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anything I ever do, I'll do with Daniela. She's the best. Um, and then we just sort of randomly met Jeff Zients for the Call Your Mother project. Um, and Jeff is, you know, world-class business guy. He was Obama's director of economics. This guy, everything he's ever touched in his life has turned to gold. Uh, so given the opportunity to work with him, we were like, yeah, where do we sign up? Um, and it's been a great partnership. He's sort of somewhere in between, like, an operating partner and just sort of like a silent partner. Like, he's there when we need him, but he sort of is, you know – lets us run with what we need to run with and do our thing. But so he's not really part of the creative vision? Is No, I mean, like, he was, like, part of the vision in that we would go over to his house every weekend and taste test bagels and, okay. you know, run name ideas by him. That sounds like fun. What was that process like? We we tried. I, I, we lost count. But every weekend we would come up with a new recipe, mm-hmm. and we were shipping in bagels from New York, and we would take them to Jeff's house, and with his family we would do blind taste tests with our bagel versus New York bagel. Um, and we just did that until we started, you know, consistently beating the New York bagel. So yeah, that's how we came up with the recipe. Yeah. So what did you use as your inspiration for the bagel? Did you, I, I, I think I read something about how you went to Montreal and <laughs> yeah, looked at them, we, you looked um, at New York. So at Timber, we call our pizza Neapolitan-ish. Uh-huh. So it's sort of a mix between classic Neapolitan and New York style pizza. So it's not as sort of doughy as Neapolitan, but it's not as sort of big and crispy as New York. Yeah. And that really worked for us, and so we didn't. We were like, let's follow that model for for the bagel. Um, and there's two main types of bagels: a Montreal style bagel, New York style bagel. Uh, Montreal style bagels are a little smaller, denser, sweeter, and they're wood fired. And then New York bagels, everybody knows, there's that chew and they're big. Um, so we just sort of wrote down what we liked about both bagels. We liked the sweetness of the Montreal bagel. We liked the chew of the New York bagel. We liked the wood fired of the Montreal bagel. Um, we just started to sort of check off the elements that we wanted to nail, and then we started, you know, recipe testing and tweaking. And uh, we think we've come up with sort of this: if you know, if a New York bagel and a Montreal bagel got it on, this is the baby that they would have. <laughs> so uh, now, like, what do you think is the essential ingredient for a bagel? Because I've heard many different things. I've heard water is one of the things. Yeah. It's you know, sometimes like the time the yeast rises. Like, what what do you think? I, I don't know if there's one. Um, yeah, it's really tough. I don't think it's the water. No? I think that's okay. BS. I think the thing with New York bagels is it's competition. If you make a bad bagel in New York, see right. you later because yeah. um, there's a good bagel down the block. So I just think there's no room for sort of weak bagels there. Um, I, malt, barley syrup, and powder. Uh-huh. When you when you rip open a bagel, there's this like bagel essence that's hard to describe. It's like the smell. And I think that comes from the malt powder. Okay. So malt powder is – for you, for you chefs at home trying to make bagels. Definitely don't skimp on that. Right. Now, you have other items on the menu, too. Yep. You have non-traditional items that you would see in a deli, like pork is on the menu. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, one, I mean, that's part of the reason we called it Jewish deli yeah. with the dash, is we didn't want to sort of be limited to not do stuff like that. Um, and we just make stuff that we really like. Um, 
some of the women who work on the prep team were making uh, tacos and they were making tortillas from scratch one day. And we walked to the back and I was like, holy crap, this is the best tortilla I've ever had. So now on the menu, we have what we call Jew-ish tacos, where it's these homemade corn tortillas. And then we put pastrami and brisket with melted cheese and cilantro and jalapenos that are super bomb that you would not find on any other Jewish deli menu. Um, Yeah, and then it's like all the challah sub rolls. We're doing uh, babka muffins, so it's not your classic babka. It's in like a muffin form. So everything's got a little twist to it. Um, and everything's, you know, pretty dope. Cool. And so Daniela's from Argentina originally, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Has her influence actually held over from the kitchen to some of the cultural influences from what she's um, she's cooked? Yeah. So at Timber, we have empanadas on the menu, which are classically Argentinian. Um, at Call Your Mother, we have alfajores, which is classic Argentinian cookie that we then turn into a black and white cookie. So we make an alfajore and then make it black and white. <laughs> That's clever. Um, but outside of that, I think mostly her influence comes in the fact that like she's a blank canvas. So if she had grown up in New York and we said we're opening a Jewish deli, I think there's sort of all these preconceived preconceived notions of what a deli has to be. Um, but with her, it's just like let's just make what's good. Let's make what's like what we enjoy. So we have a bagel that's covered in zatar, which you would never find in like a classic bagel shop. But zatar is delicious. Bagels are delicious. Like why shouldn't there be a zatar bagel? Um, so a lot of that stuff I think we come up with because of the fact that she just like doesn't have a background in Jewish delis, which like allows her to be creative um, and think outside of the box, like without even trying to, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Zatar is interesting. I've been seeing it on a lot more um, baked goods. Like I, we get those fire hook um, breadsticks and we get the Zatar ones. Oh, it's popping up everywhere. I mean, yeah. You're seeing it. Cause I guess it's kind of similar almost to like having an everything bagel. Really. For sure. Yeah. We, we, we say it's like a middle Eastern everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's interesting. We had it in a salad at Timber two years ago. We had a pizza at Timber that had zatar on it. So we've been we've been messing with zatar for a couple of years now. So talk to me about the aesthetic of the restaurants because I've seen photos of the interior. I haven't had the pleasure of actually dropping by yet. Um, they're bright, they're colorful. Talk to me about what you're going for there. Yeah, I so Danny and I always say to each other like, let's just bring fun back to food. Um, you know, we eat out a lot and a lot of times it's like it's stuffy and places are just taking themselves too seriously. And at the end of the day, like you're going out for fun, right? So everything that we do is rooted in fun. Uh, so with Call Your Mother, uh, we just had this idea to call it sort of Boca meets Brooklyn. Boca Raton is sort of where all the New York Jews go to retire and Brooklyn is where all the young little hipsters are now. Um, so, yeah, it's just like it was rooted in fun and let's make it bright and airy and funny and interesting and uh, the same at Timber. At Timber, I sort of had this idea to like, let's make it look like a summer camp in the Adirondacks. So, you know, from the get go is super woodsy and, you know, uh, a lot of reclaimed sort of cool stuff that we found in people's backyards in Laytonsville. Um, yeah, I don't know. We always say it's 50% food, 50% vibes. Yeah. Um, in this day and age, you can order anything to your couch, um, right. you know, any food, anything. There's no reason to leave the house unless you're, like, leaving for an experience. And so we always say having great food is not enough. It's the service has to be good. The design has to be on point. It has to be fun. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, we're neighborhood restaurants. It's supposed to be fun. We're not taking ourselves too seriously. And I think that sort of shines through in the design. Yeah. And so now you have a Drake wall in the uh, the deli? Yeah. Yeah. That – is it's really there's not a lot behind it. He's half Jewish, just like me. Um, I think everybody thought <laughs> we were the artist. Yeah, I think everybody thought we were going to put um, like our mothers on the wall. It was just too obvious. And if you come in, we're playing lots of hip hop and R and B. 
Um, and I think he just sort of embodies the vibe there where it's, you know, it's, it's hip, it's fun, it's lively, it's bright. And, um, when you're walking into a Jewish deli, you're not expecting to see Drake and his mom all over the wall. But <laughs> so, so talk to me about the name to call your mother. That's so, yeah. it just really stands out. Yeah. Like, where'd you get that? So we had a, a lot of really, really bad names. Um, and I just, run down them. <laughs> I just found the list the other day. Yeah. Halela's, which was a fictional Jewish character in a South African book that I found. Okay. Red Rover, which was supposed to embody a you know the the playground game, mm-hmm. um, apples and honey to represent the sweetness oh, of the yeah. new year. Yeah, um, God, there were so many. There was like I, I went to a tarot card reading, thinking that I would get a cool card and we can name it after that. So every tarot card I got, there was like Sun Baby. <laughs> there was it was a it was yeah. a weird tarot card reading. So there was a totally bananas card. So we almost called it totally bananas. Um, but again, getting back to fun, yeah. I knew the name needed to be sort of fun and sort of evoke everything that we're trying to do, that we're not taking ourselves too seriously. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We just want it to be like a fun experience. So I was out to dinner with some friends one night, and I was just like, like, what's something funny your Jewish grandmother would yell at you? You know, like, ah, oh, you should eat something. Put some meat on your bones. And my friend's sister yelled out, call your mother. And, like, the table erupted in laughter. And then I was just like, that's it. That's perfect. And we locked it in that night. I texted Jeff Science right then. I texted Danny. I said, that's it. We're not talking about it anymore. It's call your mother. And I think it's perfect. Nicely done. Well played. Um, So talk to me about the neighborhoods that you're located in. So you've got the deli in, is it Parkview? Yeah, deli's in Parkview. And the pizza restaurants in Petworth. Why did you choose those places? Um, So... I'm from D.C., born and raised in Mount Pleasant, and I've always said that D.C. does high-end dining and sort of flashy new openings really, really well, but because it's so transient, what it doesn't do well is have the deli or the pizza restaurant that have been around for generations. Um, so we were pretty thoughtful and like, let's find a neighborhood that is residential, that's not going anywhere, where there's young families, where we can sort of be a staple in the neighborhood for decades to come, hopefully. Let me knock on some wood. Um and then it was also our first time opening a restaurant. So I was like, let's find somewhere where the rent is cheap, where if this is a freaking disaster, like we're not going to have to mortgage the house to sort of get out of this. And if nobody's showing up, it's not going to be a disaster. Um, so we uh, were looking in residential neighborhoods. And Petworth, I knew well from growing up a mile away. We're on Upshur Street, which is this very cute street. It feels like a you know a main street in a small town somewhere. Um, so I just love that vibe of it, wide sidewalks, being super walkable, everybody from the neighborhood coming down, pushing their strollers, um, while also being in one of you know the biggest cities in the U.S., I think is a win-win. And we got you know a great rent deal, really cool building, um, and I, you know, I think it's worked out better than best-case scenario is what I always say. Yeah. Is the idea to have this as a testing ground so that you can scale the idea and franchise it out, or is it to have like a kind of a unique creation in each place that you Yeah, it's, it, we're we're thinking through this right now. I, th- I think what we enjoy the most is the creative process and the creating of new menus and designing spaces. Um, but we also realized that like the Call Your Mother brand does have legs. So I always make this like bad sports analogy that we're running like the option in football that I know we're running down the field. I don't know whether we're going to like pitch it to the guy or keep it ourselves. Um, so I think we're exploring it all. We're exploring new concepts. We're looking for new location, new locations for Call Your Mother. So um, it'll probably end up being sort of a collection of all of it. Yeah. So now you're kind of a non-traditional restaurant operator in the sense that you come from a different background. You you work in uh, education and as part of a tech education startup. Yeah. 
So talk to me about your journey as an entrepreneur, how you went from working for an education startup to founding a restaurant. Yeah. So to take it way, way back, um, my dad's a pretty successful lawyer who has always said, oh, I wish I'd opened a deli. So I grew up with that. Like I remember elementary school, he used to always say that. Um, so I sort of stole his line and just twisted it to pizza. So I always thought I was going to be in some sort of marketing or something. So oh, I'll be in sports marketing. Oh, I'll be in education marketing. But I should have opened a pizza restaurant. Um, and so I just like had this dream sort of festering in the back of my head. Uh, and then I was, you know, I went to grad school, got my MBA, moved back to D.C. Uh, zero restaurant experience at this point. Um, and just like, you know, my job was OK. I didn't love it. I wasn't like this is why I was put on earth is to do education, technology, marketing. It certainly wasn't like I wasn't like shooting out of bed to get to the office every morning. And I don't know. I just like reached this point. It was like a cold winter night. And I was just like, this isn't it. Like I keep talking about this pizza place. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. Um, and my buddy Chris was, you know, basically the guy sitting down the, the hall from me. And we started talking. Oh, you and, worked at the same place? Yeah. Okay. So, so we worked. That's how we met Chris. Um and when I lived in Brooklyn, there was a flea market uh, that had a mobile pizza oven. Um, and so I was like, let's open a pizza restaurant. And I remember I went and looked at a location, and the questions they were asking me, I was like, I have no freaking clue what you're talking about. Because I didn't know how to open a restaurant, right? They were like, how much electricity do you need? I was like, Ugh, I have no idea. Um, I need electricity. And so I was like, this is too much. Let's take it a step back. Like, what's something we can manage um, and so we basically like found this company in Boulder, Colorado that made these mobile wood fired ovens and sort of bought it sight unseen. Um, and it had a three month lead time. So we had three months to get our shit together. So I started reading about pizza dough and we started basically using our, you know, business sales background to get into the local farmers markets and festivals. And we would say, Hey, we can't make you the pizza yet. Cause our oven's not here, but we have this amazing recipe. Trust us. It's great. And people trusted us. They're like, all right, cool. You're in the market. So we had this busy sort of schedule lined up, um, and then the oven showed up, and we were like, all right, let's figure out how to make pizza. Um, and, you know, I read a bunch about dough and pizza and a bunch of trial and error. Um, and the pizza dough recipe is the same today as it was the first day, even after Daniela coming in. She changed everything else, but the pizza dough recipe is the same, so I'm proud of that. Um and honestly, like most of the business journey for us has been figuring it out on the fly. Like even though I have an MBA, I certainly had no idea how to run a restaurant. Um, had you the, taken any classes in, in your MBA program for entrepreneurship or I took about like being a an, founder? I took a class for entrepreneurship, okay. but most of it was focused in marketing. And, and the secret sauce for us was just showing up and like working our face off every single day and like figuring out everything. And I think a lot of times people want to sort of – like sprint to like CEO level and they want like other people to do the dirty work and there's just no way to get there except for like through the freaking wall. And that's what we did. We showed up every day. We learned every single part of the business. We learned how to make pizza. We, like we just learned everything. Right. And so now today at Timber, I don't make any pizza, but nobody in the kitchen can tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Cause I've been and I've done everything. Right. And I think that, you know, now we know how to sort of to do everything. Um, and then we just like learned every single day. We learned how to sell pizza. We learned how to run payroll. We learned how to do scheduling. We learned like we just learned everything on the go and we did it in this way where we sort of all of our steps allowed us to grow through that. Right. We did the mobile business for a year and a half. Then we opened one restaurant Then we opened the second restaurant. Now we have a second mobile wood fired oven. So as we sort of continue to grow and increase our skills, we grow the business as we go. Yeah. 
Can you talk to me about your attitude towards risk? Because I know that's something that you know a lot of entrepreneurs yeah. think about whenever it comes to making an investment in something, even yeah. an investment in themselves. Talk to me about how you see risk. Yeah, it's it's funny because obviously I I'm not too scared of risk because I'm doing this, but I do feel like I'm risk adverse, and everything we do, I do feel like it's like in bite sized chunks. Um, so the mobile oven was 30 grand to get started. So it's, you know, it's not nothing, but it's not like it's going to ruin your life if it doesn't, you know, go up. In the first restaurant, uh, Timber, super low rent, super sort of small space. Uh, Call Your Mother, we were originally going to do it in Georgetown, which super high rents, super expensive build-outs, and then we switched it to Parkview, lower rents, you know, cheaper spaces. So, um, you know, I believe in us. I truly think what we're doing is great food and great vibes, but I also, you know, there's a part of me that's always like, oh shit, if this doesn't work, what happens? And so I think about that when we're raising money and I think about that when we're looking for locations. Um, and I sort of, every day I jokingly say to the staff, is the buzz gone? Cause I live in this constant fear of the buzz dying and people not coming, which I think is part of the reason why we're successful is we, even though things are going really well and we've won these awards and we're busy every night, like, we still live in this sort of scrappy startup mentality where it's like, what can we do to get better today? What can we do to keep the buzz alive? What can we do? So where there's like, there's no sitting back saying, oh, sick, this is going really well. Every single day we sort of attack like, oh, shit, the walls are falling in even if they're not. Entrepreneurship is something that I think has a lot of roots to how we were in our childhood. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have any kind of entrepreneurial tendencies as a kid? Did you... Like ever sell like uh, you know uh, lemonade or anything oh, yeah. like I had that. A super dope lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. Um, with an expanded menu, we would have hot dogs, which most lemonade stands don't have. Um, and then I remember in fourth grade, I sold bracelets. So I'd make like beaded bracelets, which is super weird because that doesn't seem like anything I would do now. But I was selling these beaded bracelets that the teacher then shut down that operation. <laughs> um, but I think the thing that most like that I can relate to the most with entrepreneurship now is I was huge into sports. So I've always been competitive and with sports, it's however much you practice, however hard you work, it really pays off on the court or on the field. And I do think a lot of that sort of can translate to entrepreneurship where like you really get, you know, what, what you put into it. Um, you know, and there's, if you don't take any days off it eventually, you know, you make your own luck and it'll start to pay off. And, um, I think, you know, Chris is the same way, big basketball player growing up, and we sort of always relate to that and talk about practice and all that, and so you're ready for the game day. So tell me about the best advice you've received as as an entrepreneur and the worst advice you've ever received. The best advice, I don't know, I can't remember the name of the book, okay, and I can't remember exactly how it was put, um, but it was basically just start, right? And... This is the advice that I now give because it's like your business plan can always get better. The financing can always get better. The timing can always get better. So there's always a reason to push it off, right? Um, And the book basically said do something that puts you at the point of no return. And then you're either going to figure out whether you can swim or you're going to sink. And I remember reading that and being like, F it. Let's do it. And that was like the motivation I needed to just sort of get get the ball rolling and let's do this thing. And then on this flip side, somebody once told me that there's no way this will work without more experience. You should go work in a pizza shop for seven years before you start your business or there's no way it'll work. So, um, yeah, I didn't do that. I didn't follow that advice. 
Do you have any founders or entrepreneurs that you admire in particular? I mean, in the DC restaurant scene, there's definitely some people I uh, look up to. Rob and Violetta, who own Dolceza, which is a gelato coffee shop. Um, they now own like 11 locations. And just like they're a great example of you can grow a big business, but still stay super true to yourselves. And they're still super hands on, and everything still feels artisanal and homemade. Um, but they also have a huge business and their stuff's in Whole Foods and it's, you know, it's great. And I really like that because I do see a lot of businesses where as they grow, they lose sort of that intimacy and that sort of that authenticity. Um, so I really look up to them. I mean, Jeff Zients, our partner, this guy, you know, he's everything he does turns to gold and he's super smart and super thoughtful with everything he does. Um, yeah. So what's next after this? We are currently looking for location number two for Call Your Mother. So that is heavily in the pipeline. About a month from now, we're opening a pizza slice shop in the Boston Mall that's reopening. So we'll be doing New York-style slices there, so a little different than Timber. Is that in the food court? Or is yeah, that's... it's going to be in okay. the food uh, they desperately food need... hall is what they call it. Oh, they're it. calling it the food hall? <laughs> yeah. That's they desperately like a need sexier food court. Yeah, for um, sure. And then... Then we'll see. You know, we're. I think we're always looking for opportunities. Um, I, I think at this point, not by no means are we like the hottest ticket in the world, right? Like, there's still all sorts of mistakes we can make, and all this could go away in a couple days. But I think the name of the game right now for us is being really thoughtful in what we say no to. Almost every day, I get sort of an invite for some new real estate development or something like that to open a call your mother or a timber. Um, and, you know, we're now two for two, and I think it's really, really important to go three for three. So we're being very, very thoughtful on what the next location is, what the next project is, because um, really all we have now is sort of our reputation. And, uh, you know, you can soil that pretty bad with one bad project. So trying to be very, very thoughtful on that. Now, you mentioned having a fun experience as part of the vibe you're trying to create there. Talk to me about that philosophy and how that can help other entrepreneurs in their pursuits. Yeah, I just think, like... Everything is going online. We're, we're our faces are on our phones all day. We we don't even go to the movie theaters anymore. We watch them at home. It's just like everything is on your screen or at home. And I do think like hospitality is going to be the only retail that survives because it's the only way you can go out and have like a real experience. So I do think people are leaving their houses for experience. They're not leaving for food. And so we have to be very, very thoughtful in that. And that starts from the second you open the door, right? The second you open the door, is there good music playing? Is it the right sort of decibel level? Is there somebody smiling and saying hello? Is it confusing? Do I know where to go? Um, and so I do this thing where I basically draw a pizza mm -hmm. and I draw slices, right, about like this is a five-star experience. And this slice is a warm hello. And this slice is the place is clean and the music is good. And this slice is the food comes out fast. And this slice is... You know, somebody says, hey, how you doing? And talks to you. And this slice is really good food, right? And I think a lot of people think, oh, as long as the food's really good, that's enough. And in this day and age, it's not. There's so much competition out there. You don't have to leave the house if you don't want to. So for the five-star experience is this pizza where every slice is something else that makes up the whole pie. Yeah. I think one thing you also have going for you, too, is that D.C. is a foodie city, right? For I mean, sure. we've really seen a lot of restaurants open up. For sure. And there's been a ton of great restaurants here. So it seems like the people that like the food scene here in the district and the surrounding area want to experience everything. They want to go to each place. 
So it, it, it seems like even if you have the competition, there's still an opportunity to make money doing that because people want to experience, you know, what is the best slice? You know, what right. is the best so the big problem one the with that, though, and this is what something we've been very thoughtful in, is that D.C. is it's like a list oriented city, right? Where it's like, oh, let's go to the hot new restaurants and let's check off this list. And once yeah. I've been there, I don't have to go back. And so Call Your Mother is as buzzy as a buzzy as a restaurant can be right now. But what we're trying to create are restaurants where it's not just a checklist restaurant, where it's somewhere you can come once a week. So that's like why we're trying to be in neighborhoods that are residential. That's why we're trying to be at a price point that's sort of accessible and people can come once a week, a couple times a month. Um, because you see it a lot. You see restaurants that are scorching hot, and then everybody checks it off the list. And then you go back two years later, and you're like, oh, where, where is everybody? Where's the vibe? The vibe's done. So we are like, let's not open to just be a buzzy restaurant. Let's not just open to be a checklist restaurant. How do we become sort of a staple? How do we become an iconic restaurant? So we think about like, yes, you have to nail the first impression and nail that first check mark, but then it's about let's not just be a check mark restaurant. Let's be sort of something that gets into the the ecosystem that people come back a couple times a week, a couple times a month. Yeah. It, it seems like with restaurants you see like these uh Planners will actually have two to five years that they actually really want to have the restaurant open. For sure. Before they shut it down, basically gut the interior, change yeah. it, renovate it, and create something new, a new experience. Yeah. Um, so you're you're more uh, concerned with having a longer play here, right? For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, there are restaurants that are around for decades, that are popular for decades. I mean, Two Amy's in D.C. as a pizza restaurant has been around 18 years, and it's as busy as it's ever will be. And so it's how do you make this transition from new buzzy restaurant to like foundational restaurant, essential restaurant. Um, and I think you do that by hiring great staff, having great food, and not doing it for the initial lists, which those are great. And those help business, of course. And you want those to get on the map. But it's about sort of keeping that quality up, keeping the experience up, and also being an experience that's not just like a once-a-year experience, which I think a lot of these sort of higher-end restaurants are. But a bagel is not something you get once a year unless you're, I don't know, gluten-free or something. But um, So we're thoughtful in opening restaurants that really can be sort of a part of somebody's daily life instead of just sort of a special event place. Yeah, that's great. They do. They talk about the bell curve of a restaurant mm-hmm. where you open and then buzzy, 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 everybody's gone, and then it just sort of slowly fizzles out. And then that's when they do a facelift or that's when they open something else or that's when they slowly bleed out. And um, But there's, the, there are also the stalwarts too, like L'Oreal Plaza has been there for ages, right? Yeah. And it's still like you, you, you walk by it, there's always a ton right. of people in front of it. So that's the, I, don't, I don't know what the equation is to go from buzzy to you know essential stalwart restaurant. Um, I think we're in the process of that at Timber. We're in year three now and it's – you know, busier this year than it was last year, which is great. Um, but we're very thoughtful in that for sure. Where it's you don't want to sort of be a, a shooting star; you want to be along for the long ride, yeah. for the long haul. So, just as a reminder, I've been speaking to Andrew Dana today. He is the founder of Call Your Mother Deli and the co-investor of Timber Pizza. Yes, sir. Andrew, thanks so much for dropping by today. Pleasure, all mine. See you guys later. Come through. We'll catch you next time here on DC Entrepreneur. Subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and connect with us on our blog, dcentrepreneur.com. If you have any tips or ideas for stories, please tweet at us or message us on Facebook. Please tune in to our next episode. And thanks for listening.